angels and demons has really opened my eyes to a lot of things that I didn't know and quite honestly I wasn't even sure of. I've got to admit to you though that what I've learned and what I'm going to share with you in this podcast has empowered me so much. Without even considering how much greater God is than Satan, you're going to find out how the odds are stacked disproportionately against the devil. For instance, did you know that for every demon there's two angels? And did you know that the thrones and dominions established by God will never be taken by satanic forces? And check this out. Satan can only be in one place at a time. He isn't all-seeing. He isn't all-knowing. Only God is. So listen in and find out the notable limitations of evil in this world. So we started part one on angels and demons last last Sunday. Now it's part two. Next Sunday will be our final part three. And um, just as a reminder how this came about, okay, picture this. I'm, uh, I have a full-time job, okay, so during my work day, I uh, got a call through the church line. I have it kind of on Google Voice, so everything kind of comes through my cell phone anyways. And I get a call, and I couldn't answer the call because I was working. So the, the young lady, I think she's 20, 21, said, hey, my name is so-and-so. I go to UTEP. I'm a university student, and I have some questions for you I'd like to ask you. I'm taking a humanities class at, at UTEP. And I would like to ask you some questions about angels and demons. Would you call me back? <laughs> so, yeah, I'll call her back. That's an interesting subject. I'd love to talk to you. So I call her back. We ended up setting up a Zoom call. And all I'm doing today is going through the questions that she asked me and sharing, you, sharing with you the answers that I gave her. But maybe a little bit more detail, just broadening it a little bit. So last Sunday, and I'm not going to rehash last Sunday, but they, we covered three questions. And um, if you, we recorded this, each one of these are recorded. If you want to listen to it, I encourage you to listen to that message. It's, it's the contents of it has encouraged me greatly. And I hope it's encouraging you as well, but I'm not going to rehash everything. But the first question is, are works like, in other words, written works like the book of Enoch, the book of Thomas and the book of Jubilees considered folklore, folklore, a myth or a tale? Are they inspired by God or are they blasphemous? Are they useful or are they nonsense? And we realize they, this young lady was very smart. The reason why she asked that question is in some of these books, especially the book of Enoch, um, there's teachings about demons and angels. And if we conclude, which we did conclude last Sunday, that the book of Enoch is not the inspired scripture, why would, be, why would we be reading something that's not inspired scripture to learn about demons and angels? May as well go down to the library and read about New Age and read about uh, the occult and, and, all, and, and get your education that way. It doesn't make sense. The Bible is where you need to go to to find out more about angels and demons and, and many other subjects. So we covered that last week. The second question we answered is, what angels actually exist? Are there others that the church labels as mythological and what comes to mind? All right. Again, if you want to know the answers to those questions, listen in to, to the recording from last Sunday. And then lastly, we covered the origin of Satan. That was the third question, the origin of Satan. That was an interesting one. The Bible gives us enough information to have a very clear picture of where Satan came from. I'm not going to rehash the details. We're just going to move on today because we don't have all the time in the world. We're going to go on to our fourth question that this young lady asked me, and it was this. What demons actually exist? 
And I, again, I always I like how she puts this: what demons exist. She didn't say do demons ex- exist. What she was asking is what types of demons exist. Now, if you're young and you're getting a little, your palms are getting sweaty, and you think, well, my parents are gonna have to sing me a lullaby tonight to get me calmed down. Don't worry, I'm not gonna freak you out. All right, just relax. You're gonna see how powerful God is through all of this. You're not gonna have a fear or worry in the world after today's today's message. So listen in. All right, what demons exist? Well, um, what are what is a demon? What is a demon? A demon, we've referred to them as spirits, as ghosts, all right? But what does the Bible have to say about demons? And we read in Ephesians 6.12, uh, it tells us very clearly that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, it's not against human beings, all right? It's not the Proud Boys against the liberals or the, the Black Lives Matter against uh, conservatives. It's not about flesh and blood, that's not what we're here to do. It's not about politics. It's not, it's not about Republicans versus Democrats. Our fight, it says here, is against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. What are demons? It's their evil forces in spiritual realms that want to give you a hard time. But I got good news for you today. I've got really good news for you today. Did you know that in the Bible, demons are often referred to as angels. Do you know that? Look at this. I'll give you one example. In Matthew 25, 41, because when we realize demons are angels or were angels, then we get to understand where they came from. Matthew 25, 41 says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you are accursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels his angels. Demons were formerly angels, all right? And so when Satan's rebellion took place that we talked about last Sunday, all right, Satan's rebellion took place, he obviously convinced some of the angels in heaven to follow him in his rebellion as he pursued his quest of becoming almighty God. Isn't that something? He, he convinced some angels said, hey, come follow me. I'm going to be God someday, and you're going to be on my side. And so he convinced some angels to follow him. Now, there's one scripture, one scripture that kind of puts this into a picture for us. And there's another scripture that alludes to it a little bit, and that's Daniel 8.10. I'm not going to read that one, but I'm going to read this one, Revelations 12.4. It says its tail, and it's talking about the dragon's tail. If you, you have to read the context of the scripture. The dragon's tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. And and we're going to read today, we're going to see how angel, excuse me, um, the, the, the devil was thrown out of heaven. And picture this, a dragon being thrown out of heaven. And as he's fallen, his tail reaches out and grabs all these angels. They were following him willingly, but, and brings them down with him. You know, that's a pretty interesting. That kind of gives us a little bit of history of of how this happened. You know, maybe not when this happened, but it gives us a little bit of a a picture of what happens here. But here's what I want you to key in on. A third of the angels. Did you know that for every demon then, there's two angels? Isn't that awesome? The odds just from angelic beings to demonic beings is in our favor, is in the favor of heaven. And I mentioned this yesterday, not yesterday, last Sunday. Uh, Not only that, 
God's in no boxing match with a devil going 12 rounds. One punch from the Lord knocks Satan clear across and ends his existence. God is all powerful. The devil, remember, is a created being. He was an angel as we studied last Sunday. He was a fallen angel. He's one of the chief angels fallen into disgrace. You know, the Bible says pride comes before a fall and the angel, why do I keep saying the angel? The devil keeps, he epitomizes that. His pride led to his fall, as we'll see today. But for every every creepy thing that's out there, there's two good, powerful things, beings that are out there that far outweigh what the enemy could ever do. Let me give you a, a quick story. In 2 Kings 6, there's the prophet Elijah, Elisha. And I won't go through the whole story. You'll get it in a text this week to read. I encourage you to read it, meditate on it, rejoice in it. But... Um, in Second Kings six, this uh, this uh, prophet Elisha and his servant are surrounded in a town by enemy forces that have come to kidnap him. They've come to take him. All right. The servant gets up in the morning, looks over the wall of the city, and there on every side is a whole army come just to get Elisha. And of course, Elisha's servant well, he freaks out, scared to death, and so he comes back and he tells Elisha. We're surrounded. It's over. Have you ever felt like it's over? I'm, I'm done. <laughs> this is it. This is the end. Well, that's how the servant felt. And in, in 2 Kings 6, verse 16, Elisha says, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. One to every two. Two to every one. Praise God. You got at least two guardian angels with you, man. You are set. You are protected. You should have peace in your heart. You shouldn't have a worry to, to even think about. Praise God. That's why in 1 John 4, 4, it says, You, dear, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. Oh, man, stand up. You know, not literally, stay seated, but, you know, stand up. Head held high, assured as a child of God, you are saved and you are safe. You are saved and you are safe. Well, here was a kind of random miscellaneous question that was asked next is, do angels or demons have a gender? Well, have you ever seen pictures maybe of a girl angel? I've seen them in plays before, a girl angel. Is there a gender for angels? Well, there's a couple of things we know. I'm going to share one of them a little later. But the Greek word for angel, in, in Spanish, there's feminine and masculine uh, you know, ways of addressing people. Well, Greek was the same way. And in every time uh, that angel, an angel was mentioned in the Greek, it was in the masculine. It was in the masculine. And, so, and, and angels never appeared throughout the Bible as a female. So in the answer to the question, we can come to the conclusion that if there was a gender, it would be a male gender. Just throwing that in there real quick because it was asked of me. I wanted to share it with you, and I think it's interesting. But let's move on to something a little um, even more, more uh, powerful, if you will. And here's a question that this young lady from UTEP asked me also. Are, are there ranks of authority among angels? And are there ranks of authority among demons? All right? What does the Bible have to say about this? I want to give you two key scriptures that compares and contrasts ranks or hierarchies 
of, of spiritual forces, of angelic spiritual forces, and of evil spiritual forces. In Colossians 1.16, we find, and if, you, if you're taking notes, especially if you're online, or if you're listening to this recording, I want you to pull out a sheet of paper at this time because I'm going to ask you to jot some things down that I can only show visually here if you're in person. So 1 Colossians 1.16 describes how God originally set things up before there was any thought of demons. All right? So let me read it to you in 1 Colossians 1.16. It says, For by him, by God, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. See, he created spiritual things. He created physical things. It goes on. It says visible and invisible. So God created visible things that you can see. We can see each other. God created you. He created me. But he also created invisible things. And then it goes on to describe those invisible things uh, as such. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Four things. Let me read them to you again. And if, you, if you're writing down on a scratch piece of paper, I want one column. And, in fact, you can go ahead and throw it up here, Kyle. Um, just maybe whoever's back there. Uh, this, this little grid that I'm going to show you just really quick. One column of those four things, um, the first column, uh, thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. All right, it says, continues in Colossians 1.16, all things were created through him and for him. You and I, we were created for God, and until we start living for God, we're going to be miserable because we're not fulfilling the purpose for which we were created, but not here to talk about that today. Ephesians 6.12, though, flips the, the, flips the focus on this and says, all right, that's Colossians, how it was meant to be. This is how it is today with evil forces, with demonic forces. Ephesians 6.12, it says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Remember, we've already read this. But against, it mentions principalities, and I checked this out in the Greek, and these same words are used, principalities against powers, against rulers of the darkness uh, of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. All right, four things again, two of them common to Colossians, two of them not common to Colossians. Let me read them to you. Principalities, powers, rulers, and spiritual hosts from the version that I'm reading, which is the New, New King James Version. All right, so now let's, let's look at this. Yeah, here we go. Let's look at this grid right here. In the first column, we have the ranks mentioned in these two scriptures, which total six, six in total. In the first, second column, we have the angelic uh, descriptions of, of, of what, how God originally had this hierarchy work or these rankings work. And in Ephesians 6 is how the demonic rankings work. And in the final column, which is the fourth column, is the meaning of each. So let's go through this really quick. In Colossians, it says that there's thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. So in this column of angelic, we say, yes, 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 yes. There's four of these. They're mentioned in the scripture. In the uh, demonic column, if you will, there's yes, and only two intersect. Principalities and powers are both mentioned but then there's two down here, rulers and spiritual hosts, that are not mentioned in the original Colossians text. So what does this mean? Well, let's look at the meaning of each of these. First of all, when God created spiritual things, he created thrones. And what is a throne? Well, a throne is where a king sits. A king sits. So when you're talking about 
heaven and what God originally intended and, and how things are today in heaven, thrones are not available to demonic forces. Thrones are not available. They're not even a rank even mentioned when it comes to, to, to evil. This is only available to what we call to, to the angelic side of things. Praise God. That's already encouraging me because that means there's no demon sitting on any throne anywhere unless he's sitting on the throne of your heart. That's the only throne he can possess because God has not made thrones available to him. Neither has he made dominions available to demonic forces. Praise God. And what are these dominions? Well, this is a divine or angelic lordship, a celestial hierarchy, not even available to evil spiritual forces, not available to demons. Praise God, only angels can occupy those those places. Man, you talk, so there's two angels to every demon. There's rankings that demons can't even access, praise God. But then we get down into two commonalities, principalities and powers, which seem to be available to both angels and demons. And these principalities are defined as, as a ruler or a magistrate. And, and what that is, if we look at Daniel, you begin to realize that the enemy tries to really hone in on people groups or, or regions uh, of, of the world and, and tries to dominate. Look at this. I mean, it, it, there in Russia, there was domination, just brutal domination. 50 million people put to death between 1945 and, and the, the 1980s. 50 million people, not to mention all those people that were put in prison and oppressed, all right? I believe there's a, a, a spiritual oppression. There was a spiritual oppression there in, in the Soviet Union that would have caused the leaders of that country to do what they did, all right? Principalities over different parts of the world, different people groups oppressing those people groups. But then below that, it would appear, and I'm no expert, I'm just reading the Bible. I'm just trying to interpret the Bible here. But it seems that below principalities would be these powers, and there's defined in the Greek as delegated power jurisdictions, where, you know, there's a principal angel, and those angels have people who, not people, have angels who do this bidding or do that bidding. Well, similarly with demonic, demonic presence is, is, a, is a principality and then powers that, you know, the power of lust a demon who's just expressly looking to make you lust and is constantly tempting you to lust. Or, or maybe a demon who's always looking to, to make you angry all the time. All right? Guess what? Angels are more powerful demons. There, there's two to every one. Praise God. But look at this. As we get down into some of these other areas, is rulers, the ruler of this world. Now, this is not mentioned on the angel side. But the rulers, and a ruler is someone who's independent of God, independent of God. Well, that's what Satan tries to do, is he tries, is always trying to be above God, but he will never, ever succeed in this. Isn't that wonderful? He'll never, ever succeed in this. And then spiritual hosts, which we won't go into too much detail. But as you can see, my point is, is the enemy has no access to the thrones or the dominions of God. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? Praise God. Well, here was another question that was asked of me is, are fallen angels or the sons of God, as mentioned in Genesis 6, the Nephilim and their descendants or something else? Well, this is an interesting question that I'll attempt to answer. Um, 
I'm going to say some things that may step on somebody's toes because you might believe a little bit different, differently than me, but that's fine. Um, I try to just read the Bible and take it at face value. I don't know about you. I mean, that's what we need to do is what does the Bible say? And that's what we go with. But let me read to you Genesis 6, verses 1 through 7. And it's talking about way back, way back when, uh, when the world was still being populated by humans, Adam hadn't... Uh, there weren't a whole lot of offspring quite yet, but uh, it does say here in, in Genesis 6, 1, that human beings began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them. And then it says something interesting. It says, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, sons of God, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with humans. My, my spirit will not contend with humans. And I want to point something out. He's not going to contend with humans that are sons of God or daughters uh, of humans. It's very clear here that sons of God are humans and daughters, of, uh, daughters uh, of humans are humans as well. There's a lot of people that don't believe that, a lot of Christians that don't believe that, but I'm going to try to disprove that right now. Uh, goes on with humans for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. Well, it's a little bit more than what people live nowadays, but right around 80 or 90, not too close to this, not too far off from this 120 years. The Nephilim were on earth in those days and also afterward. So Nephilim were giants, uh, very tall, strong warrior people. And it mentions here that they were before the flood and after the flood. When the sons of God, and it goes into a little bit more detail here, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were heroes of old, men of renown. There's this myth, I'll call it, because that's what it is. There's this myth um, that's propagated in the book of Enoch. Remember how we were talking about the book of Enoch last week? Not part of the Bible that describes angels marrying women and having giant children, all right, in the book of Enoch. Now, the book of Enoch, let me remind you, is not in our Bibles, not in the Protestant Bible. It's not in the Catholic Bible either. So neither Catholics nor Christians should really buy into this, this myth. But unfortunately, Christians do, and, and some, some Jews do as well, believing that the story indicates that, that fallen angels uh, married, if you will, um, with physical women, and they had they had children by them. This is simply not true. <laughs> I'm going to disprove it to you today through the through the Word of God. Um, those those who interpret the Scripture, though, to believe that that fallen angels, in fact, married women, they point to scriptures in Job where angels are referred to as sons of God. They point to that scripture and say, "See, it says sons of God here. Therefore, in Genesis, it says." sons of God there as well. Here's the thing. Throughout the Bible, sons and daughters and children of God is referred to more as humans a hundred to one times. Just there's this one couple of places in Job where sons of God are referred to as, as genuinely angels. But the vast majority throughout scriptures, when you talk about a son of God, a daughter of God, a child of God, it's talking about you as a believer. It's talking about you as a believer. So it's an extremely weak argument to say, well, angels did this. First of all, you're using something that's not biblical for your, for your belief there. 
And secondly, you're using something that's against the odds in Scripture. And then I'm going to give you a third reason why it's absolutely and unequivocally false as well. The problem with this belief, I, I have a, an acquaintance, somebody that I know, a friend, I guess you would call him, um, who believes this. And he's taken this all the way to believing, here's the extreme. I, I won't tell you all the steps that he took to get to this, but believing that UFOs are demonic forces, which they might be, and they've come to steal our DNA. You talk about myth and craziness and getting out of the Bible completely. Don't fall into the belief that, that this myth is true. It's simply not true. It's not biblical. All right. So uh, even Adam himself was referred to as son of God, son of God. Now, none of us are at the level of Jesus, the son of God. But if you've asked Jesus into your heart, you are a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You're a child of God. Look at John 1, verses 12 through 13. It says, Yet to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed on his name, Jesus' name, he gave them the right to become children of God. So when you read this strange story there in Genesis, talking about sons of God marrying the daughters of human, praise God. It's talking about people who were committed to the Lord, at least initially, all right? And they intermarried with people that they shouldn't have. And that's why the Bible says don't be yoked with unbelievers because look at what could happen. Now, it's kind of interesting that a son of God married a daughter of, of, of a human, somebody who was a non-believer, and they had giants. Can you imagine if the sons of God would have married daughters of God? They would have had even greater giants, even greater giants. When you choose, and I'm speaking to young people right now, it's not many of us, but you haven't been married, make sure you wait to marry the right person. Make sure that you wait to marry the right person. In 2 Corinthians 6, 14, verses 14 through 18, says, Don't be yoked together with unbelievers. Don't make an unbeliever your best friend, your soulmate, your marriage partner. Wait for God to bring you the right person. For what does righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship does light and darkness have? What harmony is there between uh, Christ and Belial, which is an alternate, alternate name for Satan? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you. You will be my sons and daughters. Son of God daughter of God. Why? Because you opened your heart to Jesus. Praise God. All right. Well, here, let me put the final nail in the coffin for this silly myth that unfortunately so many Christians believe is that spirits can't have, I hate to put it this way, they can't have intercourse with humans. In Mark 12, 25, it's, uh, Jesus is saying, you know, when the dead will rise, there'll neither be, when you and I, when we go to heaven, we won't be married. We won't be given in marriage. All right? This is what the scripture is saying. They will be like the angels in heaven. Praise God. I mean, put your mind at rest. The enemy doesn't have that kind of power. <laughs> they don't have the power 
to, to, to do something like that. As soon as you start believing that something like that happened in history, you will believe that it can happen today, and it'll mess with your mind. Praise God. God has not allowed those types of things to happen. Does that make sense to everybody? All right. I'd be happy to debate you on this if, if anybody disagrees. All right, let's look at this. The, the next question and the last question for today, and we'll finish up next week, is do you believe that Satan can, have, can be in multiple places at one time? How about angels? How about demons? Well, one of the key things about God is he's omnipresent. Omnipresent. God, what does omnipresent mean? He's everywhere at one time. He's everywhere at one time. Proverbs 15, 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere. God sees everything. He sees the poor man begging for food and begging for money. He sees the rich man who has plenty. He sees the lonely person. He sees the person who has plenty of friends. He sees the kid that's struggling in online school right now that's not making good grades. He sees you. He sees you if your marriage is failing or struggling. He sees you if you're alone. He sees you if you're successful. God sees everything. How can he do this? He's God. He's everywhere. His, he sees everything. But let's look at Isaiah 57, 15. I love this scripture. It says, For this is what the high and exalted one says, He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who's contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Listen to this. God is in heaven, but God is here on earth right now as well. His spirit, how can he do this? Well, the Holy Spirit is everywhere. Thank God. The Holy Spirit, I'm going to speak for myself. The Holy Spirit is inside me because I've asked him to come into my life, to take control of my life. He's with me. He's everywhere. He's even where evil is going on. God is present everywhere. In Psalms 139, verses 7 through 10, 10, it says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? The psalmist says, If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise with the wings of the dawn and settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. Let me tell you what, when you're laying on your, your bed, depressed as you can be or sad as you can be or lonely as you can, God is with you. God is with you. You are not alone. God is everywhere. He loves you. He cares for you. He's not going to leave you as an orphan, the Bible says. Deuteronomy 4.39 says, Acknowledge and take to heart this day, the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. Now, I'm going to point this out. There's no other who can be omnipresent. There's no other. Only God. Only God can be. When, you know, when the enemy starts messing with you and thinking, you know, I can't get away from me. He sees everything that I'm doing. No, 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 no. Praise God. I'm going to prove that wrong to you right now. Listen to this. In Job chapter 1 verses 7, and then we'll skip to verse 12, we, we, we get this incredible, uh, it's like watching a movie, seeing how Satan was and where he was and where he wasn't, because this is the point we're trying to prove. The Lord asks Satan, where have you come from? 
In other words, when you come from, it means you've left one place and you've come to another place. Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth and going back and forth on it. Then in verse 12, it, it says that Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. See, Satan can only be in one place at one time, just like you and me. Demonic forces can only be in one place at one time. They're not all seen. They're not all knowing. They don't, you know what? And if you're a Christian, they're not, they don't even have an ounce of power on you. We learned last week that Satan is like a roaring lion. All he can do is roar at you. And the way the lion works is he roars and his prey freezes up. They paralyze and they wait and then the lion eats them up. All right. But as Christians, we look at the lion and say, all he has is a roar. He doesn't even have a bite. He didn't, he can't do anything to me. He can't harm me. That's what the Bible says. And then we look at Daniel who was in the lion's den and what did the angel do? He came and even shut the roar up. He couldn't do anything. Praise God. God is in control and in charge of your life. We have nothing to fear, nothing to fear. So again, about the omnipresence of, of anything but, but God, James 4, 7, it says, Submit yourself then to, to the Lord. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Did you know that? You can resist the enemy. He'll turn around and hightail it. He'll turn around. So what do we have to do first? Submit ourselves to the Lord. Say, God, the angel of the Lord encamps around me to fear and deliver, to, to protect me and to deliver me. I resist the enemy in the name of Jesus, this fear, whatever it is. It has to leave. It has to leave. He's not omnipresent. When he leaves, he's gone. He's not here anymore. <laughs> All right. And the last one I'll share with you is in Matthew 4, verses 10 through 11. Jesus said, uh, he's being tempted in the desert here by, by Satan himself. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Listen to what Satan did. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. He left him. He was gone. He was there no more. There's nothing, nothing around him. No presence, no nothing. No fear. Everything was gone. Praise God. Would you bow your heads with me just really quick? Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, because, Lord, if we're looking at the odds, Lord, they're stacked so much in our favor as believers, it's crazy. Lord, two to one. Uh, then there's God versus Satan, the divine against the created. Lord Jesus, there, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Praise God. Lord, that's why you tell us we're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Lord, that no weapon forged us is going to prosper. And, and then you tell us in many places in the word, nothing will harm you. I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, God, why do we walk around in fear? Why do we walk around in timidity?